<laughs> There's so much that belongs to us, and we don't want to leave any of it unaccessed. John 10, 10, again, Jesus is speaking. He said, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. So when the thief is on the scene, notice this, he's not going to be inactive. The thief comes. Listen, no thief comes if there's nothing worth, if there's nothing of value there. There's a value that is, that is made yours and he knows it and he's come to get it from you. The thief comes. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come. See, it matters which coming you're focusing on. Are you going to focus on the thief that came to do something against you or the one who, Jesus, who came to do something for you? You can be so focused on the circumstances that are against you and totally miss that Jesus has come to do something for you. Focus on that. Because there's not only one who came, there's two that came and you choose which one you're going to allow to have the movement, you see. So Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. And we said last night, the divine life, eternal life, the life of God. And so if you're born again, that part's fulfilled. You have life. The life of God's in you. And that you might have it, the life of God, more abundantly. More abundantly. So this part is going to take the rest of your life to express the flow of that abundance. In a moment, you were born again, but for the rest of your life, you're to flow in that move of abundance. And the thief is coming, so hopefully you don't have abundance. Mm -hmm. If you're born again, if, if his strategy to deceive you from being born again didn't work, then his next strategy is don't let them have abundance. Let their marriage look the same. Let their home look the same as it did before they were born again. Let their thinking be the same. Let everything be the same. And we know of people. We all probably know of people who are born again, but you can't tell it. Their marriage doesn't show it. The way they talk doesn't show it. The way they think doesn't show it. Now, they got life, but there's no abundance of that life. There's no issuing out of that life. There's, it hasn't flowed into any arena of their life to make a difference. Their life looks the same as it did before they were saved. But I don't know about you. I didn't get saved to stay the way I was. I needed something different to happen in me. And Jesus is telling us how is when that abundant life starts getting movement. Amen. Amen. And so you can have life in you, but it not make a difference. It's up to you whether or not it's going to make a difference. And that's one of the things, as we said, that Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. Because until you lay hold on what eternal life brought you, your life won't be different. I don't want my kids ending up like the neighbor's kids. My kids aren't going to go the same place as the neighbor's kids go. Their outcome's not going to be the same. My marriage isn't going to go where other people's marriage went. You see, the arenas of my life are not going to be the same because there's an abundant flow for me to take it in another direction. And I don't care how great the circumstance is that comes against you, the abundance that's for you will trump that other. Amen. Amen. You got to lay hold of it. You have to lay hold of eternal life. You have to lay hold of the abundance uh, that that eternal life produces. You got to lay hold of it. How do you do it? Every day, get up and say what you're taking. Every day, declaring something. Every day, putting your hand of faith on it. Dr. Sumrall made this statement. He said, Faith must be reborn every day. What's he mean? Faith must be expressed every day. Every day. And uh, so here. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. How about we move in what he came to bring us? He paid so much to let us have this flow, and uh, it's inappropriate for us not to reach for it. Amen? Amen. But then again, we won't reach for it if we don't understand what is connected with it, will we? Uh, My husband said... Uh, he was in a, another country years ago, pr- over 15 years ago or so. And he said this, that God woke him up one night and talked to him for several hours. And in the course of that, 
dealing of God, God said to him, 97% are living beneath what I have provided for them. What's that mean? 97% are not in that flow. The majority are not. Well, that means we can't think like 97% of the body of Christ thinks. Amen. We're going to have to think different. A lot, 97% aren't laying hold of all that's available. I've decided I'm, not go- I'm going to do everything I can to not just be in the 3%, but enlarge that percentage. It's not just 3%. Now, you understand he's talking about the whole body of Christ. He's not just talking about our circle or our company of people. But uh, there's some laying hold to do. And uh, it's not going to be a half. It's, it's, this abundant life doesn't, is not an automatic flow. It's something you have to work on purpose. And as we said last night, what, what is abundant life? I mean, what's contained in it? Just to say it in a nutshell, simply because we don't have the time to dive into it specifically and with great detail, is, is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. One translation says, Who has blessed us with all that heaven itself enjoys. Think of anything that heaven is enjoying right now, and that's what you ought to be having. That's what you ought to be having. That ought to be the flow of your daily life. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Uh, I was was reminded of something that I was preaching in a church, and the Spirit of God dealt with me about this because I... Your pastor goes, Dr. Jacobs goes to so many foreign countries and has traveled circles around me when it comes to overseas travel. So he knows what it's like going to these third world countries and places where poverty has uh, rooted itself. And when you go to preach and tell people uh, what he was reading tonight, the spirit of the Lord's upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, you you think they'd be thrilled to hear that, you see. But because the people that have grown up in extreme poverty in these third world countries, that's all they see is poverty. So a lot of times there's no reach in them for anything more because nothing, there's no more around them. All they have is less around them. They don't have any flow of more around them. So you, you have to, as a minister, try to, uh, if I could say this, ignite their desire for something more than what they see around them. And if they don't see it around them, sometimes it's hard to get them to reach out for it. I mean, you can think of, you know, if, you, if, some, if some person was isolated, you know, up in some kind of Arctic area, and had never seen a palm tree, and you try to say, listen, you need to get, get around a palm tree. Well, what's a palm tree? And try to explain it to them. That many times they can't even conjure up what that would look like because there's nothing like that around them, and so all you can do is describe it, but you're not even sure that they're getting what you're talking about because they haven't seen it. Well, in the United States, we've seen a measure of prosperity, and not only that, we can turn on the TV and watch, and really watch some people who prospered. Yeah. You know that they had palatial mansions or something, and you can see it, and that helps enlarge you mm-hmm. to see that out there. But I remember in going so much of the time to these foreign countries, and God would have me to preach on prosperity, and one of the hardest things was to get the people interested. Now, you would think they would be looking for somebody to tell them that there's more to life than poverty. But when they, you talk to them about it, sometimes it was just, they're just kind of looking around and there's a real disconnect because they, the, prosperity is a foreign thought to them. They have never seen it demonstrated. So you come in and you try to paint to them what all prosperity holds. But some, so many times you leave dissatisfied, a few might get 
you know, they might start latching on. And if you go enough times, you can start building a desire in it. What we have found is even getting the pastors wanting it. That's the biggest thing. Ed was going to go to a preach at a certain place. And I said, I wouldn't go there if I was you. I said, that pastor needs to come out of where he's at and come to where you're at and see what prosperity looks like so he can even begin to grasp what you're preaching. The idea is not get down there among his poverty. The idea is get him out of the poverty and see what prosperity looks like. Let him come to you and develop a hunger in him. And then he can go back and take it to his people. But if he doesn't even have it in him, it doesn't matter that you're trying to give it to his people. And then Ed turned around after about a day and a half and came back because he saw that if until the leader gets it in them, the people right. won't have it. Right. Right. Amen. Well, in talking about this, I would leave those places dissatisfied because you, you could only get a, a handful of people. Even if the yeah. pastor yeah. was interested, other people just looking around like this didn't apply to them. Prosperity applies to you if you're born again. I don't yeah. care what your poverty level yeah. is like. Yeah. I don't care what you grew up without. Prosperity, it, it applies to you. Amen. And so I would leave dissatisfied because I'm thinking, oh my gosh, they're not even reaching for to, to grab hold of it, and I, I would leave dissatisfied. And um, the Spirit of God reminded me of that one day, and he said, you know, I've seen heaven. And he said, to me, you look like a third world country. Because he said, all that heaven is enjoying is yours, and you don't even reach for all that heaven is enjoying. And he said, that's why I keep dealing with you and dealing with you and dealing with you because I've seen a place you haven't seen yet. You can only really know what's available to you by the Spirit. He has to unveil and reveal to you the great wealth of abundance that belongs to you because he has seen it. (laughs) He knows what heaven looks like. We don't know what heaven looks like. You say, well, I've had a vision of heaven. You haven't seen all of it. I don't care what kind of vision you had. You didn't see it all. It's going to take the rest of eternity to really take in all that belongs to those who belong to that place. Amen? So what I've seen is something is to interest people. To have abundance, you have to interest people in heaven more than what they got. Now, go with me, if you would. Um, Let's go to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. I remember something I I said to God (laughs) probably about, oh, 30... It's been almost 30 years ago now. I had been having ongoing back trouble. And I said to God one day, just in frustration of the ongoing nagging pain, it wasn't incapacitating, but it was just there, nagging. And I finally said to him, why don't you just heal me? (laughs) Now, see, I don't ask stupid things like that anymore. That was 30 years ago, and you heard me. And you know what his answer was to me? He said, you're not hurting bad enough. He said, if you were hurting bad enough, you would do something with my word and run that out. In other words, the reason you're hurting is because you're putting up with it. That's what he was telling me. So I saw, see, he was letting me know, it's not why don't you heal me. He's saying to me, why are you putting up with it? So for the next three weeks, I dived in, and after three weeks, that, th- that was gone. It's never been back because I, I quit putting up with it. Amen. Amen. John Osteen, Pastor John Osteen, has a sermon called How Strong Is Your Want To? Anybody ever heard of him? It's a classic sermon of his. In that sermon, he talks about his mother who used to chew tobacco. <laughs> She dipped snuff, you know, chewing tobacco, big old chaw on you, but dipping snuff is right in your lip, you know. 
Beautiful foot, beautiful side. Beautiful side. <laughs> hey, I grew up around farmers. I know what that tobacco looked like. I grew up, everybody in high school, the boys, the redneck boys, they had the skull outline on their hip pocket. It wore the pocket, you know. Down. Anybody remember that? You see, out in California, I haven't seen that once, but we grew up seeing that old circle right there on their, on their back pocket there. And uh, it's a beautiful sight to watch them spit and, you know, if they miss. And beautiful sight. But she grew up in the era when they did not realize, you know, that it, how detrimental it was to your health. And so she developed an addiction for it. And he would try to get her to stop. And she'd say, I tried to stop and I can't. I tried to stop and I can't. Well, one day uh, he realized after a period of time that she wasn't dipping snuff anymore. Now, his father had died and she was a widow. And uh, he said, uh, then he realized why is because she hooked her eye on a man. And uh, she got her a boyfriend. <laughs> and all of a sudden, what she said she couldn't quit, she could quit. Why? Because her want to got stronger. How strong is your want to? Well, that is scriptural. Mark 11 and verse 24, Jesus was speaking. And he said this, Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Look at the last phrase of verse 23. He shall have whatsoever he saith. The last phrase of verse 24, And ye shall have them. Notice, both of these verses end with you having. God's interested in you having. All of verse 23 is to point you toward the having. Verse 24 is to point you toward the having. The last phrase of both of these is about how to get you into the having place. God wants you to have. When you're not having, he's not pleased because he has so much for you, he doesn't want you to not have. He wants you to have. That's God's plan for you is to have some things. Have everything that you desire to happen. But notice in verse 24, the having doesn't, is the last phrase, but the first phrase of verse 24, what things ever you desire. Whether or not you have doesn't begin with your faith, it begins with your desire. Notice there are four things listed in verse 24, what things ever you desire, when you pray, Believe that you receive, believe that you receive, number four, and you shall have them. So the four things pointed out in this verse is desire, pray, believe, have. Right? Desire, pray, believe, have. Of the four things, believing isn't till number three. Pay attention to that. What's number one? Desire. Desire. The reason a lot of people don't have abundance, they don't desire it. It's a desire issue. They think it's a faith issue. No, that's number three. Number one is desire. You got to want it. I said, you got to want it. You've got to see what's available and say, I'm going to have that. Let me tell you what doubt and unbelief does. Doubt and unbelief complains at prosperity. When you hear somebody knock prosperity, it's because they doubt. They operate in in unbelief. When you hear people dogging out the prosperity message, it's because they don't have faith for it. But don't dog me. Listen, if you don't see it, don't dog me with your blindness. Don't expect me to do without because you don't see something. Right? So, uh, people don't have things because they don't see it. You know, doubt and unbelief is the type where they see a fabulous home on a hill and they say, people shouldn't live like that. I mean, look at all the poverty around here. Nobody should live like that. But faith looks at that same house and says, everybody should have that. See the difference? 
Doubt and unbelief will always tear down the person who has. But faith will always say, everybody, come on up. Come on up and let's all have it. Let's all have it. Amen. You know, so much of the time in, in so many of our political races, we've had men that over the, over the decades have run for the presidency. And it's always baffled me why the media dogs on a rich man. You think I'm electing a poor man? You think I want him to duplicate that in the highest office in the land? To me, I think if you're not rich on your own, you don't qualify to lead anybody else. You got a welfare mentality. You're going to produce welfare government mentality. Give me somebody who's got more than everybody else and let me come up to that instead of putting somebody down there who doesn't have anything like the others that don't have anything and saying to see he can identify. I don't want someone to identify. I want somebody to bring me up. That's what Jesus did. He brought us up. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Coming up into abundance. Don't stay down. Come up. Amen. So I don't get offended when somebody rich gets into office. <laughs> Come on, show me how to get more. I want to hear what, how you think. There's, when somebody has more and knows how to handle more, they have a mentality that is a more. There's a mentality there. And we want that duplicated. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, even so, when God told me, when my husband went home to be with the Lord, he told me someone, a minister to hook up with in a particular way because he said he operates in a grace that you're going to need to fulfill your call. He said he walks in a grace that you haven't been exposed to at that level yet. And you're going to need that grace to fulfill your call. What's that mean? You're going to need to get around somebody with a higher mentality than you. They think, they think according to the higher grace upon them. And I want to get around that and be a student of that grace. Amen. I don't get offended when somebody's got more. Show me who's got more. I want to become a student to find out. What's your thinking? <clears throat> Arnold Palmer, you ever heard of him? Yeah. It's more than a lemonade drink, you know. <laughs> he was invited to go play golf with a, a wealthy uh, fella, a Saudi Arabia, you know. one of the, I don't know if he, if he was a prince or whatever, but he was a... You know, very wealthy. So he went and played golf with him. And at the end of it, this man that he played golf with said to him, I'd love to get you something. I appreciate you coming over here and spending the time with me. And he says, I'd love to get you something. He says, well, what? but I want to know, what would you like? Because I don't just want to get you anything, something that you would enjoy. He says, well, you can just get me a golf club. You know, he's a, being a golfer, he just has an appreciation for some fine ones, fine golf club. And uh, so he said, if you could get me a golf club, that would, I'd love that. That'd be a great, you know, memento of our time together. And so he got back home about a couple months later, and there arrived a document in the mail. And he opened it up, and it was a golf club. <laughs> the, this man... When Arnold Palmer said golf club, he's thinking putter. When, when he heard it because of his mentality, he heard golf club. The whole resort. Same words, different mentalities. When we hear abundance... Do we have heaven's mentality of abundance? Or is it abundance based on what we know? 
It needs to be abundance based on what the Word reveals and the Spirit reveals to us. I, um, I've, I've told here, I've told this congregation first and more about some of the things <laughs> I have. I, I, I like that I'm far enough away from home I can <laughs> say something. You, you do keep a good secret. And um, so God had begun dealing with me. Of course, you've heard my testimony about the castle that uh, God gave me. Um, God told me that that was the home for me. It was in February of 2014. I bought it in July of 2015. But in January of 2015, I approached the owner's about purchasing it because it wasn't for sale. So I didn't even, you know, there was nothing that made me think that they even wanted to sell it other than God said that was mine. So I, I called them and let the, the, the it was owned by Foursquare Church because that's Sister Amy's uh, got, uh, denomination that she, was, she started. And it had just come back into their hands. It had been out of the Foursquare hands since 1939 and they got it back into their hands in 2005 so it had been a long time out of their hands so I didn't you know in the natural it looks like I'm not sure they'll let it go but her son Rolf McPherson was still alive when they got it and he got to go there again before he went home to be with the Lord he was up in his 90s he spent his honeymoon there in one of the rooms and um I've I, I, that that room I've I've done a lot to, and my son says this is the best room in the house. Well, it's the littlest room in the house, but it sits on the whole roof, and this you see the entire you see for miles and miles and miles from this place. And so, uh, <clears throat> in January, I approached them about buying the home. It was March before they even contacted me back to let me know if they would uh, sell it to me. So see, now it's been over a year since God's been dealing with me. And you know, that thing just starts, you know, come on, let's get it going. Come on, let's get it going type thing. So he told me, he said, he said Nancy, he said, I will sell it to you, but I've got to go through a, a, a process. It had to go before three different boards. One was a congregational vote, and you know, and so he said, I have to get their approval. I want to, but he said, it will, it's not all up to me. But he says, I'll do what I can. Well, here it was in June. He told me in March. So I'm thinking, okay, let's get, it, <clears throat> let's get it going. Let's get it going. Well, it was June, and it still nothing was happening. And so I, uh, I went on a walk one day. And I said, God, this thing's taking too long. You know, and you, you sense that it needs to move along because the devil would love to hinder to where opportunities are even lost you know and so I said God th this thing this thing needs to get going this thing needs to get going I said uh, what can you do about speeding this up you know what you know and so I'm out on a walk and God said something to me he said uh, now see I had my I, in my thinking I'm going to I'm going to get financing, and I'm going to put my money down, and with the other cash I have, I'm going to start renovating. That's what I'm going to do. So that I move in, and I'm not moving in during renovation. It's renovated, then I move in. That's my plan. That's my plan. Good plan, right? Good plan. So I'm out on a walk, and God said to me, I don't want you to finance it. But see, I didn't know what the asking price was. Because I had told the pastor, whatever you set the price at, I'm paying it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go back and forth. Will you tell me the price? I'll pay it. I don't care what the price is. God told me that's my place. Will you set the price? If God said that's my house, then the price, it's up to him to come up with. Not, yeah, it's irrelevant. So he... He said, so he agreed he got an appraiser. The appraisal came in less than half of what they had, what price they were going to put on it. Mm -hmm. 
And he, the pastor said to me, he said, Nancy, I'd love to sell it to you at this price, but the board is not going to agree to this. I said, that's fine. It's fine. I don't care if it's over, over appraisal value. I don't care. That's my house. Set the price. I'll pay it. <clears throat> so God said to me, as I'm on this walk, he said, uh, I don't want you to finance the home. I want you to pay cash for it. Wait. No, I got a plan. <laughs> Because if I pay cash, that means I got no money to renovate. My plan is I'm going to finance it, get in it, get, get the house purchased, then have the money to renovate it, then I move in, and then I believe for the rest to pay it off. He says, I don't want you to do that. I want you to pay, pay it, pay cash, pay it off. He said, then all the money will come to renovate it. And he said, this is why it has taken so long. I'm waiting on you to think paid for instead of financed. What was he doing? He's waiting for my, my mentality to change. And it took a little, it took the rest of that walk. <laughs> I had to keep walking. Really? Really? Why? Because for 30 years, my husband and I had done financing. So my mentality was finance, finance. You understand? Because I'm, you know, I'm working a deal here. I've got a plan here. And God was trying to get me to come up to his desire for me. Amen. And the moment I did that, within a month, the thing was closed and I, I owned it. Amen. And I was able to pay cash. And the board did agree to the lower price. Amen. I did not find out what the price was until the morning escrow closed. Wow. Because I put in the escrow instructions, the price, can, the price can change it. They can set the price at whatever they want. Throughout all escrow, they can change it. I had to. Yeah. And that said, but see, my desire was set on financing. His desire was set on payoff. God was waiting for my desire to come up, and he was willing for me to not have the deal completed until my mentality came up to his and my desire met the mentality. Because what things ever you desire, if you only desire mortgage, you're going to get mortgage. But if you desire payoff, you're going to get payoff. But it's a mentality, and you've got to get your faith up to it. You see what I'm saying? I'm not telling you what God told me in the sense. I'm telling you, what is God telling you? What does he want your desire to come up to? You might be thinking two-bedroom home, and he might be thinking five-bedroom home. I was talking to some pastors recently, and they said they had a home, and they decided that they were, their kids were grown and out of the house, and they were going to you know, just get a smaller home because they didn't need a, as big a home as they had with all the bedrooms. And when they found the next home, it was double. <laughs> and they said, we were stunned. Why? Because God thinks bigger than we think. Yes. Yes. But he's got to get your desire up to it. Yes. Because, look, he can't get to the fourth line until the first line is correct. What's the first thing? Desire. Desire. Amen. Mm -hmm. You'll never arrive at the last phrase till you begin with the first phrase. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> if you can get people to quit being okay with the standard they grew up in, if you can get people to quit being okay with what those around them are okay with. Not okay with it. Not because I've attached my self-worth to it, but Jesus put all he had into it so that I could have abundance. Abundance is not barely have enough. It's not abundance. You need to take time to allow the Holy Ghost to coach you into what abundance looks like. Because really, abundance for different people can look different. Isn't that right? That's right. I mean, abundance for me 
is a paid-off home, a renovated home, and every desire met. But bring, bring somebody like a billionaire like Donald Trump into it. His idea of abundance is going to be way different because he's been operating at a certain level for so long. I was watching a thing. Just for example, he, you know, he's got this big plane. More power to him. <laughs> In the sense of, hey, you want to sow that? <laughs> but him and his son went over to Scotland. Two people on a plane. 757. It seats, I think, 120 people. Two people went over. And it was like $100,000 just in fuel. You know how cheap him and his son could have got on a plane, a commercial plane, and got over there? Mm-hmm. But see, there's a mentality. Yeah. Yeah. There's a mentality, there's a mentality. Yeah. that they don't, they're not trying to save the money. They're using it to fund the plan. I said to God, I was telling this to the pastors at lunch. I said to God, you know, being a widow, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to take some of the money because I'm getting ready to sell a home. I'm going to take some of that money and set it aside and use the rest of the money to renovate the castle. That's a good plan. That's a good widow plan. Good widow plan. But God dealt with me and said, spend it all. Spend it all. Don't put any of it aside. Spend it all. I said, now, God, is that a good plan for a widow? (laughs) Is it wise to take money and put it on a house and have no money in reserve? Right? Right. And he said this to me. The money is for the plan. He said, the castle I gave you is not only a house. It's the plan. Take all the money and put it on the plan. You understand? Your money is a tool. Your money is a tool. He, what was he trying to do? He's trying to get my desire up to what he wants. I have learned this. If there is a delay, it's because God is still willing to work with you. He's still willing to stretch your thinking and enlarge your believing and and extend your reach of faith. If there is a delay, know this, God's being good to you. (laughs) He's giving you time. The home that I'm selling, I thought it would have sold quicker. When Ed and I bought the home that I'm selling right now, it was on the market for 30 days and there were 10 offers in on it. It was a, it's a wonderful, wonderful home. So I'm thinking, as, as, you know, we had to beat out 10 other people to get that home. So I'm thinking when I sell, it's going to have a lot of interest. And God said to me when I put the house on the market, take the time before it sells for one thing, to enlarge what you're going to do with the, next, with the castle. See, I had a plan of how I'm going to finish it out. But God said, take the time and enlarge what you're going to do. Well, now it's been uh, almost a year, coming up on a year that the house hasn't sold. And do you know in that year, it has totally changed from what I was going to do to what I am going to do. We're going over the top. We're going to go gaudy. We're going to go... We're going to go absurd. We're going to go over the top. I wasn't going to do that a year ago, but God did me a kindness to give me time to enlarge my desire so he could bring to pass the desire that he had in mind for me instead of the desire I began with. What things soever you desire, get your desire bigger. Get your desire enlarged. 
Amen. Amen. It's okay. You're not going to offend God. He can fund it. Amen. Amen. He's letting you know in the fourth phrase that you will have it whatever you desire. So you desire small, you have small. You desire medium, you have medium. You desire over the top more than enough, you have it. You will have, if you'll have faith enough to ask large. So many people ask small and they do it for so long that God says, wait a minute, you've been asking at this level for so long. Listen, if you've been given $20 in every offering, Good for you. But sometimes you've got to get out of that same spot you've been given for five years. Come on. Get your desire up, and it's going to show in the other aspects of how you handle your finances. I've given more since Ed's death than we've ever given. Why? Because I got to get into more. Amen. There's more to ha- there's more in front of us. I can't stay at the level I was at with Ed. Amen. We've got to go further and further and further. Yes. Why? Yes. To get into a greater desire. Yes. Amen. 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 Go with me if you would. Let's go to Exodus chapter chapter uh, sixteen. Exodus chapter 16. I woke up one morning probably about a year, year and a half ago when the Spirit of God said to me, as soon as I woke up, He said... One of the greatest enemies to your prosperity is your past. In other words, doing it like you've always done it. Thinking like it's always been. Some grew up in a lot of financial tightness. And so that starts governing what they'll believe for and what they'll reach for. I had somebody telling me years ago, it's an illustration, might be a weak one, but it's the one I got. <laughs> and they put this fish in a big fish tank. They let him swim around in it for a period of time. After he'd been in that for a while and he experienced that, they dropped a, another panel, a clear panel, halfway Amen. through that fish tank. And so he was used to swimming the entire length of it, and they dropped it in there halfway, and he hit place he had never hit before and he kept hitting that and after a while he quit hitting it because he learned that's there Mm -hmm. and then after he learned it was there and quit bumping into it they removed it and he'd stop there Mm -hmm. from then on he would stop he wouldn't go the entire length because he assumed it was still there the greatest enemy to your prosperity is your past That was the limit that you assume is still there. But in Christ, it's removed. In Christ, it's gone. It's not there anymore. But you learned to stop there. Does that make sense to you? He was made poor that we might be rich. What? No limits. No limits. No limits whatsoever. And we ask in terms of our limits. So much of the time. That's what I was doing with the castle. My limit was I'm get financing. Nothing wrong with financing your home. Do what the Spirit of God tells you to do. It would have been wrong, though, for me to get it after God said, I want you to pay it off. Then it becomes wrong. It doesn't become wrong as long as you're following this, what the Spirit tells you to do. It's always God's best that we can pay cash for everything. But listen, until you reach that point, it's always good to get a uh, loan that's going to acquire equity for you. If you're going to end up increasing because of it, loans are right. It's good business, right? Right. But it's not God's best after we have learned to reach for more. It's a process, though. Now, in Exodus chapter 16, we know that this passage is talking about when God had delivered his people out of Egypt. 
God sent Moses to, um, you think about really how Moses became the leader of God's people is because his mama asked for what no other Hebrew mama was asking for. There came out a, a command from the Egyptian Pharaoh that said, there's too many Hebrews, too many Hebrews, go in and kill them all. Two, two years and under, too many being born. While other Hebrew mamas were yielding up their babies to the edge of the Egyptian sword, Moses' mama said, not me. And she prayed and God gave her a plan. I firmly believe that if every one of them would have asked, God had a plan for all of them. I firmly believe that. But God gave her a plan and this Pharaoh who was murdering Hebrew babies, ended up spending his income to raise one. Educate him. Everything. Moses was the only free Hebrew in the whole earth. All the others were in slavery. He was the only one free. Is it any wonder why God sent him to go bring the rest into what he had? Freedom. All the others were in slavery. They can't bring you. You can't bring someone into what you don't have. So he had to keep one man free, so he could free the rest of them. You understand that? Listen, if you want, you're going to have to. You're going to have to uh, be an example. Moses was an example to the people of what a free Hebrew looked like. So God sends the only free Hebrew in the earth and says, go back to where the people are in slavery and work their freedom. So he confronts the Pharaoh. Now you understand, this is relatives. There's an affection, not blood relative, but a relative by just adoption, so to speak. He had to go against his own family. He had to go against those who had been good to him so he could fulfill the plan of God. And he said, let my people go. But it wasn't just about getting them out of the wrong place. Why was he getting them out of something so he could get them into something? What was he getting into? What was he getting them into? The inheritance, the land God had for them. Get off land that isn't yours and get over to the land that I've said is yours. This land is not yours. It'll never be yours. It belongs to the Pharaoh. I've got land for you. See, God doesn't want you always working for the other man's land. Get your own land. God was trying to bring his people into their inheritance. So they get... They get all these manifestations of dramatic miracles to deliver them out of Egypt, but they get halfway. Partway, they get to the wilderness. This wilderness, they tell us, should have only taken a three-day journey to get through it, and they're there for 40 years. 40 years, bumping their head. And the reason we see this is They ran into obstacles they weren't acquainted with. As slaves, they were used to certain persecution. They were used to certain difficulties. They were used to certain circumstances, and they had become skillful at living in those. So when they get delivered out of there, now they're facing obstacles they've never seen, enemies they've never dealt with, and they don't like dealing with unrecognizable things. So they run into difficulties that they've never had before. And in Exodus chapter 16, look at this, and it says in verse 2, And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the flesh pots and we did eat bread to the full, for you have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. In other words, they said, 
Even though we were slaves, at least we had food and bread and we were taken care of. Yeah, but you forgot something. It wasn't yours. Yeah, yeah. Come on. You were living off of another man's mercy. God doesn't want you living by another man's mercy. He wants you having your own. But notice this, they, when they came under pressure, they wanted to go back to what they were comfortable with, back to what they were used to, back to the same conditions that they had learned to survive in. This is why so many don't reach into abundance. It's more comfortable to stay in the, in the realm that they are used to. I'm used to having, you know, giving $20 a month. You're going to have to reach beyond more if you want to move into inheritance. You've got to get up and face things you've never faced before. You're going to have to set your desire beyond what you're comfortable with. Amen. Amen. God had inheritance for them, but he couldn't get them to quit backing down every time an enemy showed up, every time a need showed up. Their first response was, go back to what we used to have. So many people stay financially where they've been because they're more comfortable with what they've always had. And they won't reach. When you go to reach, you're going to face the enemy. You're going to face opposition. Jesus said the enemy is going to come to steal, kill, and destroy. But keep going because I've come that you might have life more abundantly. On the other side of the enemy's opposition, abundance is waiting on you. Quit drawing back and stepping back and staying back because you know what to how to handle that opposition. Amen. There's going to come. When you go to reach for abundance, there's going to come opposition. So what? Get skillful. You became skillful with the opposition at the level you're at. You can become skillful with the opposition at the level you're going to. Amen. Then let's close with this in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Look at verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 9. Paul is writing and he says, For a great door and effectual, it's opened unto me. Isn't this what Jesus said? You know where Jesus said this is that we were reading in John 10, 10, but in John 10, 9, you already said, I'm the door. (laughs) I'm the door. What's that mean? I am the access into all. That God has. I'm it. And the door is wide open, meaning no one can shut you out because he's the door. The devil is not the door. Jesus is the door. And he's not closing the door on you. The access into all the abundance is available to you. This is what Paul said. A great door and effectual mean there's going to be an effect. When I get through the door, it's going to have an effect. It's going to have an effect. A great door. Effectual is opened unto me. But look at the next phrase. And there are many adversaries. Where are they? At the door. What's the door? More. More. That's the door. Jesus, I've come that you might have life and have it more. Everything God has in mind for you is in the more direction. It's in the more direction. And uh, everything the devil has for you is in the less direction. You have to keep going. You you need to quit being okay with having the same when there's more offered. So many Christians live the same way, same level of income, same home, same furniture. Listen, I'm not talking about you have to have a new home all the time. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about there should be more operating in your life all the time. Always more. Always more. Maybe you are right now living in the home of your joy. Your joy is full right there in that home. Okay? But I've got, Pastor Nancy, I've got got furniture in my house. Yeah. Get more new one. 
get, get a newer couch. Get a newer bed. Get, get something more going. Put a demand. Quit being, even though you might be exactly where you want. Hey, you know what? I want more landscaping. I want it different. I Find something to put more on. Why? Because your faith needs projects. It needs projects, more projects, yeah. more, more, in quote, more, more projects, more. not same level projects. Yeah. Amen. Needs more. more, more. It's so good to see change. It is so, it is so smart for your leadership to make changes. It's so smart because it gets you seeing more. It gets you seeing activity. It gets you seeing something different. It is so important to not be rutted in the same thing you've always had because there's more. There is so much more. Paul tells you. There's adversaries at the door. Yeah. What are they there for? To back you out so you stay where you are and don't go into more. Right. You've got, if you're going to go into abundance, you're going to face adversaries. So what? There's more on the other side. More of what God has. Get on the other side of that adversary. Amen. If I could, I'd like to give you homework. Can I give you homework? Okay. Every arena of your life. Let's everything. Let's talk about your home, your business, your body, your mind, your family, your finances. Real quick, uh, just a list of all, your local church, right? Making a list. What more do you need to be doing regarding those areas? What more? Well, I've got the home I want. Okay, but what more can you do to make that home better? What more? Well, I can paint. I can uh, put tear down the old wallpaper. I, what more can you do? What more? What more? Okay. What about your family? Well, you know what? Um, <clears throat> what do I need to do different so that my family, that we, uh, we're better? What? It might be more time together. It might be, you know what? I'm on. Stop my kids from talking back to me. That'd be more. <laughs> what about the fussing and the strife? What about in your marriage? What about what what more do you want for your marriage than your marriage is experiencing right now? What more? You you need to make that list and go home and say, what am I going to reach for? In these areas, that's more than what I have for them in right now. Well, you know, Pastor Nancy, I don't own my own, my own, my own business. No, but you work for somebody. Yeah. And it's your job to see to their success. Yeah. Yeah. So what more can you be bringing? Now, I'm not just talking about work hours. What more faith can you be bringing? What more can you do in a more excellent way? What more are you going to be bringing? What about your local church? Well, what about giving more? What about serving more? What about... What about uh, you know, I, I saw Pastor, you know, we, we, there's some things out in the parking lot or there's some things in the flower bed we need. I want to pay for the, I want to pay, this month, I want to pay for fresh plants in the flower bed. I want to pay for that. I want, that's, a, that's the more I'm going to do for my local church. Amen. You go pick it out. Here's, here, I'm going to give you $800. Go do what? Go pick whatever because I want that better for us. Yeah. Yeah. Find, you know what? The children's they need a new swing set. I'm going to pay for that. I'm, I'm going to see it. What more? Yeah. What more can yeah. you bring? Amen. Don't you decide, well, we're going to repaint. No, well, you know, you give them the money to let them do, you know what I'm saying. Amen. But you can, you can say, what can I do to help? Yeah. What can I do? What yeah. more? Yeah. What more? Yeah. This is how you get the reach going. You have to love to reach. You know what these people, the Egyptians, what the Hebrews did? They loved to go back to what they had. You're going to have to love reaching into your inheritance. You have to love the process. Instead of griping about the process of believing God, instead of struggling with it, you have to learn to love the process. The pastors asked me I, I, at lunch, I, if, if I can remember, I don't know if it was you or the other couple that asked me something about, did you ever, I don't know if it was the, with the castle, did you ever get tired of fighting the fight? I said, no, no. 
because it refreshed me to fight that fight. And I knew that if I quit fighting, I fail. So the process is the only way to get to the success of the thing. Fighting the good fight of faith. Lay hold. You have to love the fight of faith because it's going to take a fight of faith to get you out of what you've always been at. What things soever you desire. Why don't you just take that? See, we always focus on when you, when you pray, believe you receive, believe you receive. And we focus on that. Well, that's good. But some need to back up and start. But what things? If Jesus stood in front of you, manifested in front of you and said, what things soever you desire. And he stopped with that phrase. And he said to you over and over, what things soever you desire, would you be asking him for what you've been asking him for? Or would you think, wait a minute, he's giving an invitation to my desire. If I'm going to get an invitation to my desire, let me get a big desire. Right? Right? I uh, said to uh, these pastors had just been newly starting their church years ago and they had a little girl that was about six years old so my husband and I went and preached for them and I said to them I want to take your little girl to Toys R Us and I want to take her and let her buy anything she wants I don't care how much she wants anything she wants we can go buy it and so um, this little girl she walked in there you know and she can only see at the little ends of the stands you know and she starts picking off little things, you know, $1, $2. And I said, no, 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 ba- baby, no. I said, let me pick you up. Look up here on the shelves. There's more up here. You don't want the little doll that's ugly and just stuffed with cloth when you got one up here that talks and walks. Yeah, yeah. Amen. See, she was looking at it at her level. And if, all, if, that, if she's going to stay there and if that's all she wants to put in the car, that's all I can pay for when we exit. But if I can pick her up and say, Come, look at all this up here. And we walked out of there with hundreds of dollars of stuff. And it pleased me because that's what I brought her there for. This is what the Holy Ghost does. He picks up your vision and picks up your desire and says, look up here. You've been living down here at Barely Get Along, but look up on the, on the top shelf and see what's up here. What shelf is it? All the things that heaven itself is enjoying. Look into that. Look at that shelf. And start reaching to that shelf instead of what your checkbook offers you. So many people are just living at the level of their checkbook. Come up. Amen. I don't know about you, but this stuff thrills me. What, what, listen, what things soever you desire. Ah. Man. That's not even a, you know, a three-wish genie. You know, three wishes and it's gone. You spend it all. Every day, what things soever you desire. What things soever you desire. Get your desires bigger. Get your desires reaching for more. Look on the top shelf and get off the floor. This is what God said to my husband, 97% are living beneath. You know what this means? 97% are still on the bottom shelf. There's a top shelf. It's called top of the barrel. Hey, baby. I was walking the other day, and I was out walking, and I, oh, I can walk on my property, never leave my property. I get out, and I just walk my, I just walk on. I don't ever have to open the gate and get out. That's what I'm talking about. And I'm walking, and I'm walking, and I'm walking, and I'm saying, I'm living off the top of the barrel. And it dawned on me, if I'm at the top of the barrel, there's a whole wealth of supply under it supporting it. And I'm not even, get, I'm not even reaching down into that. I'm on the top. I've got a whole wealth under me that I don't ever have to touch because I'm living off the top. I'm not reaching down to the zeros. They weigh on the bottom. There's a whole wealth of supply supporting what's at the top. Amen. Well, are you helped tonight? 
What things soever you desire, go home and write down and start reaching for desires for these areas that I've talked to you about. Desire something more. What about a better car? What about a cleaned out car? Yeah. <laughs> what about not treating your car like it is a, 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 a uh, what, what could we say? a motorized trash can. <laughs> Amen. Jesus is standing in front of us and saying, what things? Soever you desire. Whatever you desire. When you pray, and it means talk to God about it. That's what praying is. Talk to God about it. Talk to God about it. What things serve you desire when you pray? Believe that you receive it. Now, your desire, you say, well, I desire more, but when I, be- when I go to pray, it's like my faith can't reach it. That's okay. Don't, don't jump way up there. Start taking steps up. Yeah. Start taking steps up, something your faith can grab hold of. But many just want to grab way up here. You've got to grab to the next level, then the next level, then the next. Yeah. Then you end up there. Yeah. Amen. 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 The invitation Amen. is open. He said, I'm the door. I'm the door. It's open. The access to your inheritance, it's open. Amen. Stand with me to your feet. Father, we're so thrilled with you.